0: Good morning, everyone, Um, both listeners of the podcast and uh, those in the church who are listening uh, today. And just for some clarification for all of you who are puzzled by that, um, for the listeners, uh, I am recording this message for my church as I was slotted to preach this Sunday uh, and I happened to contract COVID symptoms and uh, just. Not feeling very well over the week And so in wisdom we decided that It'd be best if I remotely uh, Do this message And so for those of you who are In the church listening to this That is the reason I am not there Is just have some COVID-esque symptoms And uh, Wanted to make sure we Didn't spread that around And if you're wondering How you're getting this uh, Message it's coming through my uh, podcast that I have, so if you're curious as to why I might jump around from listeners to you all, uh, that would be the distinction I'm making. Um, So let's just dive in. I'm going to open up with some prayer, and then we'll get into the word that uh, the Lord has written to us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word and preach your truth, uh, I ask that you would just minister to all of our hearts and open our our spiritual eyes and ears to you, Lord, would we not be uh, blind to the truth that you'd communicate to us. I ask, Lord, that uh, this message would be of your spirit and of you and in you, Father, and um, that it would be to glorify you and for nothing else and that it would just uh, return the glory and just be make you manifoldly known lord and so we ask uh, for the grace of us listening and i ask for grace uh, as i preach and i pray for your power to be with us all here now and i thank you and i praise you and we rejoice in your powerful name lord jesus amen well so i have been um I'm picking up where Bryce left off last week in Romans 8, in the ending of Romans 8. And when he asked me to preach, uh, last week it was, I was on my way back from Colorado from being at Ellerslie, and I was in the car, and I got the message, and Bryce was like, hey, would you be willing to preach next week? I know it's short notice, and but uh wanted to give you an opportunity. And so, without thinking too much, I just said yes, I'd be happy to, and uh, I just, that's my prayer that I would be, I would have a spirit of preparedness to just, when the Lord wants me to preach, uh, that I would be willing and able to. So, uh, I hope, I hope that this all comes together. But, so we're Paul starts in verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to all these things? And so I kind of, Because he is referring to something he's already said, I wanted to go back and just do a little summarization of what he is talking about when he says, what then shall we say to all these things? So what we'll come to find is that this ending of Romans 8 is basically a powerful summary of everything he's talked about from chapter 8 and probably even before chapter 8. But specifically, I believe he's referring to the promises and the truths and the declarations he made in chapter 8. And he says some pretty uh, amazing things for those of us who are Christians, what we can live and walk in and what we've been given. So at the start of 8, we see there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, starting in verse 1, who do not walk according to the the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, And then... We see we have been freed from the laws of death and sin. We are received by the Spirit into adoption and become sons of God and heirs with Christ. And then finally, uh, we have the promises that Bryce preached on last week. We have the promise of the future glory in verse 18. Uh, We have the promised restoration, verses 19 and 25. Uh, Number three, we have promised intercession, verses 26 to 27. And then we have the promise of assurance, verses 28 and 30. So we have these amazing truths that we are in Christ. We are no longer in condemnation. We are no longer under the law of sin and death, but we have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And our life is now founded in the Spirit. And because of that, we have all these promises that come with it, that we are heirs, we we have become sons of God, and because we are sons, we are also joint heirs with Christ. And we are going to be glorified with him. And then there's this promised restoration of that the creation, that we in our bodies, our, our fleshly bodies and all of creation, groans because it wants to be restored to that which it first had in creation or when God created, and that unity and that union with the Father. Once again, our, our spirits long for that closeness. Um, and so there's a promised restoration of that. And there's the promised intercession that Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf uh, and even speaks to things that we are unable to speak or can't even think to speak because they are working for us and on our behalf. And um, I think it was Bryce that said last week, there are some days that the only prayer you can offer is, Lord Jesus, I just need you. I, I need your help. And that's, that's all we can even utter. And the Holy Spirit takes that and magnifies it before the Father. So is there, there's that promise of intercession. And then we have the promise of assurance and of God's sovereignty and that we are his according to his will and that we've been justified, and he has glorified us, all because he saw fit to do so. So, that's kind of pulling you up to speed as to what Paul is talking about when he says, what then shall we say to these things? So now we move into what I have been slotted to preach on. And uh, there's several, in the opening, there's several questions here that Paul asks, and he's kind of setting up this, um, I believe it was Cliff, that said Romans is like a a lawyer before a court, and he's convincing us of this truth and with truth. So he's asking these questions for us to be convinced in what we should know. So the question one is, what then shall we say to all these things? And then he moves into, in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I have... A verse to go with that from 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 47. This is where David is facing uh, Goliath. And so so then we'll just kick this off with what David says. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So we have this declaration of David, and he understands something. He understands that if God is for him, He can stand against this giant, and the Lord will prevail. And uh, this this is a Christophany of Jesus, too, and the Lord was for Jesus. He came to earth. Jesus accomplished his task in standing against all of the hosts of hell, and he defeated, and he won. And so now we as Christians are handed this question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so this is all going somewhere, and I'm just going to walk through these questions, and then we'll kind of tie in what Paul is getting at with asking all these questions. So in verse 32, he moves into, He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And I highlighted in my notes here, freely give us all things. And so I was looking for scriptures to go along with that, and there is, John the Baptist talks about something that uh, I think is pretty cool. So in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, 34 to 36, he sa- John the Baptist says, "...for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand." He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And I like what John is getting at here. Um, First, I like this one part. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. God doesn't just, you know, here's a teaspoon of the Holy Spirit for you, here's a cup full for you. He pours it out into those who believe in him. We have the fullness of his Spirit. And so for Jesus, God gave Jesus the fullness of his spirit. And then it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And so correlating to our verse here, uh, Paul is asking, How shall he, the Father, not with him, the Son, also freely give us all things? The Father has handed to Jesus all things. And so Paul is asking this question, kind of an open way, um, how shall we, if, if we've been given Jesus, not also get all things? Because Jesus has been given all things. Um, and then question four, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? In Revelations twelve ten to 11, uh, it reads, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So, we see that there is no one who can bring a charge against the elect of God. The accuser... Has been cast down because of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, the accuser, Satan, has no voice. He is the only entity that goes around accusing us day and night. The enemy is the accuser. But it says, We who are in Christ have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we should not love our lives to the death, if I'm paraphrasing that. Um, that we are willing to love Christ so much that we give up our lives for him. And that's how the enemy is overcome, that we stake and claim what Jesus has done. So there is there is no one who can bring a charge against God's elect. And then in verse 5, he comes again and says, or verse 5, in, in verse 34, question 5, Paul asks, Who is he who condemns? and I have a, a verse from John five thirty. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And that's Jesus speaking. And if we read verse 34 in Romans, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And I thought this was pretty cool, because it seems to me that Paul is indicating there's only one person who's actually worthy to condemn us, and that is Christ, who has died, who has risen, who is at the right hand of authority in God. He is the only person that's worthy to bring condemnation. And yet, he loves us so much that he offered up himself, he died, that we, he would not, so that we would not receive condemnation, but that we would be bought, brought back into his love. And so I, I, I love that idea that Paul is saying, it is Christ who could condemn us, but Christ doesn't condemn us. He makes intercession for us. He comes against the accuser and says, no, these are, these are mine. They have come into me through my blood. Um, and so Jesus is the only one who, who should and is worthy to condemn, but he doesn't condemn for his love for us and for the fact that he brought us into himself and he can't, and the father can't condemn Jesus and Jesus cannot condemn himself. So therefore, because we are in Christ, we cannot be condemned either in and through Christ and because of Christ. And now we start getting into, uh, some stuff that I found really exciting. So in verse six sorry I keep doing that I mean question six uh, verse 35a we have this question who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so this we start getting into um, these like big questions who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul is narrowing down to a point and asking his question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And as I was looking at this question, that word that's separate, that's used there, is the Greek word, let's see if I can do this, you got to get some chutzpah in it, Chorizo, meaning to be pulled asunder, to depart, uh, as in Paul departed Macedonia or something like that, that's what that depart means, or it is also a definition of divorce or separation of husband and wife, and I thought that was really interesting as you could read that question as who shall separate us, the bride of Christ from the love of Christ or who shall divorce us, the bride from the love of our husband, Jesus. Um, and so I, I was, I was just excited by that language there in Hebrews, uh, seven and Don, You'll like that. I'm going to Hebrews. Um, if if you're in the church, I think you will be. Um, Hebrews 7, verses 25 to 27, it says, "...therefore he is also able to save the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices." first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Um, and this is what I thought was cool about this passage and um, brings just clarity to this question. Jesus was originally, because of sin, 100% separate from us. We, uh, because of Adam, we're now under the curse of sin Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit can have no part with sin. They are totally absent from sin. They are holy, holy, holy. They are three times removed from everything holy, and then there's more holy holies on top of that. And so Jesus is holy, 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 and he is separate from sinners. He's separate from sin. Yet, because of his humility, he chose to lay aside his glory and come in the form of a man and submit himself to a fleshly body that was under the curse of sin as a body of flesh, he himself in the spirit was sinless and he lived sinless and it is because of that when he died that he was restoring or revoking what the curse uh, had set in place and that as a second Adam, he reversed what the first Adam had done by living a sinless life as a man. And so now, for those of us who were sinners, no longer are separated from Christ as he came to us and gave his blood so that we would come underneath his sinlessness and be restored to the unity of relationship that we're to have with him. And so I like, so the question is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ in all honesty. If we are in him, because he has chosen us, we have entered into covenant with him as the bride. Um, and and so even though Jesus is holy, 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 it is because of that and how He he has given us that, of in, him, in himself, because we are in him. And so, uh, we have this next question. This is the final question verse, in verse uh, 35, the latter part of verse 35. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So this would be connected. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And then Paul immediately goes into this Psalm forty four twenty two quote, and it's kind of like this is just interesting how he throws it in this in here. But I'll read it quick and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long; we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And it is like Paul saying, you know, coming from this uh, this separation of shall tribulation or all all these things can these separate us from the love of Christ? And then he's like after all it says in the scripture yet for your sake we were killed all day long we were counted as sheep for the slaughter. And and so there's almost this um I don't know if sarcastic is the right word but this uh see this is what it says we are we are killed so haha there is separation. But then Paul enters into this um yet uh, moment there's this yet moment but and jumping back up to that former question of the tribulations, uh, question 7, I have uh, a passage from 1 John 5-4, or First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So for those who believe in Jesus, the world has been overcome because Jesus overcame the world. We who believe in Jesus have now entered into that overcoming of the world. And that is so exciting to me as it is a truth that if we could truly grasp in and of ourself how much different would our Christian life look if we were to take these questions and apply them practically into our daily walk and into every circumstance we face. Um, So I'm going to move into the ending here. So in uh, verse 37, we get this yet statement. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It was interesting, on the way out to Colorado a couple weeks ago, Ben and I were driving out out there, and I asked Ben, what does it mean that we are more than conquerors? Like, what is more than a conqueror? And I think I threw out, uh, like, what, are we dominators? What, What is that? And So we had, it was just interesting that we had this conversation on this, and then on the way back, um, here is what I'm asked to preach on. So I felt like the Lord was moving in the Holy Spirit there. Strangely enough, in the coming and the going, uh, he brought just reflection so this this passage is paul's proof and evidence statement he says in verse 38 and this is where I, why I, i'm named this uh, message is persuaded it's the persuaded message paul is convinced of something he is steadfast and firm and unmoving upon upon something and so this is what he says for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and so here we have that that divorce language again, that word separate, that carizo, uh word None of these things shall be able to divorce us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, That word love that's used there, that's the agape love. That is the unconditional love of God. It's the love we are to have towards those around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our enemies. Um, And it's the fully surrendered, fully given love that... It's just the abounding love of God that he has for us. And because we are in him, we have this love too. And I think it's interesting. Paul makes this distinction. He says in, in verse 37, Yet yeah, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who agape us, who loved us. And then in the latter part of 39, he says, Nothing shall be able to separate us—I'm just going to put nothing there as in referring to the other part—nothing shall be able to separate us from the agape love of God, which is in in Christ Jesus our Lord. This love is found in a location, and that love is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, before we were Christians, we were separated from this love— Jesus loved us and God loved us which is why we see that he came to earth to give himself up for us but we were separated from the relationship aspect of this love and now we get to be partakers of the love and there is a relationship element that's added here that we've become the bride and he is our groom and that is a covenantal love that is marriage vows that Jesus has given us and we see that um, portrayed in the Passover with the giving of the cup and that was symbolic in uh, Jewish tradition of of a, of a marriage uh, vow and so Passover is significant to that and so because we have partaked of the blood of Jesus and of his body and we're going to partake of his suffering as Christians as well um We are in Christ, and that love is found in Christ. I want to read uh, Ephesians 2, 1-9 to to kind of flesh this out some more, um, as I think it says this pretty well. So in chapter 2 of Ephesians, down to verse 9, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to... To the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then, ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, works lest any of you should boast. And so in verse 4, we have this agape love showed up. Because of his great agape, with which he loved us, and so we have agape, which is just that unconditional love. And then in the latter part of verse 4, we have the verb version of it. He loved us. It has action. He was moved towards us. And because of that, he offered up himself that we would be made alive together with Christ, and that he raised us up, and we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we've been given all these things. And so Paul, going back to Romans he's asking all these questions and saying all these things that we would recognize once again, what our position is in him, what we have been fully given and that we would truly know uh, all the promises that we can have and claim and walk out in Christ that we would know the life that we have been given. It is the life of Jesus Christ. And I, I fall so short of recognizing this, in my own life, the the power, the, uh, the grace, the compassion, the mercy that I have been given, it, it's just mind-boggling. And what if I could only, what if in a moment-by-moment abiding way, I could walk in, in this recognition of what Christ has given me? That in all these questions, I would know, um, if I was to just ask all these questions again, all seven of them, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How shall he, the Father, not with him, the Son, also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is he who condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And all these questions, the answer is, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer to these questions. If we are in Jesus and nothing can come against Jesus, he is God. There is nothing that could stand before him. If we are in him, what can be done to us? What in our daily experience, in our daily lives, stop us from fully living in this life of Christ? What keeps us from from partaking in this relationship. And that's what Paul is getting at. There is nothing. We have no excuse. Jesus has given himself in love, and we walk in this love now, and we are in Christ. And there is nothing that can uh, blot, stamp out, drain, or separate us from that. And so my prayer for myself and for us all is that we would, we would develop a mindset, a moment-abiding mindset of when we face situations, when we face decisions, uh, trials, even uh, joy-filled things, and just all of life, in every moment of life, would could do we have the mindset to stop and consider what then shall we say to these things? And the answer to that is, I am in Christ. I can have... If we're in joy, let us have more joy because of what we've been given. And if we're in uh, trial, let us also have more joy because what does God say? He says, you cannot be separated from me. I have come into covenant with you. You are my bride. And there is no separation in that. I, you cannot be divorced from me. I will not separate from you because I love you. And you have chosen to love me. And uh, there is something so amazing in that. And just to, if we could simply walk in that, how would it change the church today? How would it change our individual lives in the witness we would have for Christ if we just rested in that love of Jesus? Uh, so that is basically the summation of My message, I think, um, I wish I could have been here with you guys, uh, and, and stood before you. I fear that, well, I don't fear. See, there's no, there's no fear in Christ Jesus either. That doesn't separate us either. So I, I wish I could have, have been with you guys and, uh, been able to stand in front of you and deliver this message. And you would have probably, I don't know, it might not have been as concise. You would have got a lot more trembling and, uh, a nervous figure than than what I have and, and just sitting down and, and recording. But I'm thankful for this opportunity. And I hope it was a blessing to you guys as well. So let me pray and uh and then we can go from there. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of your of your scripture, for the truth of what you've promised in us. Lord, would we be persuaded as Paul is that we cannot be separated from your love, that neither height nor depth nor principalities or powers uh, nor trials or tribulations or famine or plague or, or nakedness or weakness or anything that can be thought of or imagined can separate us from you. And Lord, would you teach us to have that moment by moment abiding in you that we would seek your face constantly and in our in our moments of tribulation in our moments of distress in the moments we feel like we're being separated from you could we just recall your truth and walk in it that we know we are in Christ that we are in that covenant love you have not forsaken us nor will you forsake us and that we can have boldness and power and truth uh, and that those promises in our lives and would we claim them Father and would you teach us to have this agape love for one another and for those in the world. Lord, we live in a, a dark age and and just a, a sin-filled time. And I ask that you would stir in us how to walk in this agape love, how to correspond with brothers and sisters in you and encourage them in this love, but also with those who you desire to come unto you. And would we be your ambassadors and demonstrate this agape love, uh, this unconditional love in and through you, Lord Jesus, that they would come to experience the level of relationship that you desire to have with them and that we have. And Lord, in that, also I pray for ourselves, would you just give us a deeper recognition of the, just the... uh, the amazingness of the relationship that we have with you, the tremendous all that you've given us. And, Father, could we just have humility? Could we have the the mind to, to walk in that relationship fully with you? That would be, Lord, to see that in the church and to see that in uh, just the body of Christ and in your bride, fully awakened would be an amazing thing and a powerful, uh, powerful change upon this earth. And so I just claim these things in the name of Jesus. Would you bless everyone who was listening today uh, and drive your truth deep into their hearts and deep into mine as well. And we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.